Welcome to the Sports Leadership Podcast, where leaders in sport get practical, relevant insight to help them take their leadership to the next level and become leaders worth following. Now for your hosts, Kevin DeShazo and Mark Hodgkin. All right. Hello and welcome. Another episode of the Sports Leadership Podcast. This is episode number 40. A little milestone here and uh, excited to share the conversation with Kristen Brown, who is a deputy athletics director for Texas A&M, focusing on student athlete experience. Uh, I've known Kristen for a long time, had to, the opportunity to work with her at the Big East and the American Conference, and she's done great things uh, since uh, leaving there about six or seven years ago. So uh, enjoy that conversation. We have some good discussion points on uh, diversity, on uh, sport administration, and um you know, how we can do better as an industry as well. So uh, before we don't jump into that, Kevin, how are we doing? Man, things are going well. Things are going well, um, you know, and, and as well as I can. Again, you know, kind of the, the same message is it's a weird season, but it's 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 been a really good season. So life's kind of getting back to normal a, a little more every day here here in Oklahoma. It feels like we're getting closer to some some version of, of sports, you know, as we record this, um, I know we have the really difficult news out of California where the Cal State system is, is going to be um, online during the fall, which, which of course impacts a significant amount of, of universities and sports, which is really difficult. But then we have Arizona saying pro sports, let's roll. Florida saying pro sports, let's roll. Um, again, as we record this, no, no finality, but baseball and, and basketball are looking a little bit closer. We've got stuff happening uh, across the pond with sports. So, um, it feels like, again, we don't know what normal will mean in the future, uh, but some sense of normalcy is kind of starting to return. So now um, that's, that's been a, a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, you know, when, by the time this gets published, things could change a lot. I think, uh, Brick was on, uh, before we started talking to Kristen or, or after, but she made the point that, that we really don't know anybody who says they know, um, is probably fooling themselves or fooling somebody else. So. We'll continue to watch this play out, you know, do what we can do, control what we can control. That's, that's really our main thing. So today's conversation, Kristen Brown, like I mentioned, a uh, former colleague of mine, um, have an interesting conversation. Kevin, what did you take away from our, our chat with Kristen? Yeah, this is, uh, you know, it feels like we've, we've had a string of just really fun uh, and insightful guests. Um, and, and the beauty of doing this, is like, we're just getting to learn from people. And Kristen was one of those people, you know, she's, she's, achieved a significant amount of success. She's been in some, some really um, high profile places during some high, high profile times and times of transition. Uh, so I just came away just really impressed, like the way throughout her career, she's navigated change. She's handled, I mean, high pressure, high stress situations. Um, you know, she'll get into it, but um, being at the big 10 during the launch of the big 10 network, being at Maryland as they transitioned into the big 10, um, being at the big East as it split apart and became the big East in the Americans. So, like these are these are kind of landmark moments in college sports, and she was she was right in the middle of all of it. Uh, so I just really loved, loved her perspective in the middle of it, and the way she approaches um, learning, the way she approaches life, her, her perspective. I, I was just really impressed by really everything she had to say. I know we don't have to say that as as podcast hosts, but um, I just thought it was a really fun and insightful conversation. Yeah, so let's uh, let's jump right in. We'll see you after the break. All right, we are here with Texas A&M Deputy Athletics Director and for Student Athlete Experience, Kristen Brown. Uh, Kristen's uh, a great person. I've had a chance to work with her back at the, the Big East and, uh, and also a year at the American. So I um, was excited when I saw her new role down in College Station and uh, wanted to get her on the show to talk. So Kristen, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Mark. Thanks for having me. I um, appreciate uh, you taking the time to, to chat with me today. You definitely must be uh, hurting for content if you're you're bringing me onto your show right now. Not at all. You're one of the big names now in uh, in college athletics. So uh, I can say I knew you back when, even if you uh, picked a different school in Texas to go work for uh, <laughs> than my alma mater. But why don't you go ahead and kind of give us an overview of how you uh, how you got here? You know your career background, uh, the whole journey that you had, and, and how you get and what you're doing now at Texas A&M. Sure. Um, so originally from Illinois, grew up about an hour outside of Chicago. Um, was a, a basketball student athlete at Northern Illinois. Um, unfortunately, got bit by the injury bug in my career. Um, and after my junior season and after my third um, knee surgery, had to uh, call it a career and call it a wrap, um, which ultimately ended up being a, a blessing in disguise. Uh, my senior year, I ended up interning within the athletic department um, and got an opportunity to really see the behind the scenes of you know what it takes to, to run 
um, an athletic department. So that kind of opened my eyes um, in a different way that you don't always get to see as a, as a student athlete. So I worked, you know, for my coaching staff in the basketball office, also worked in the event management office and also did a little bit with our ticket office as well. And then the ticket office opportunity extended a little bit after I graduated while I was trying to figure out what exactly I wanted to do, um, which ultimately ended up being a, an internship position in the championships department at the Big Ten office. Um, and was at the Big Ten office for almost six years, um, started off in championships and then had an opportunity to move into women's basketball operations. Um, and then that turned into a full-time role that was kind of dual between Olympic sport championships and, and women's basketball operations. Um, an incredible time to be at the Big Ten. Um, the Big Ten had just started um, instant replay for football. That was my first year at the Big Ten. Um, the creation and the launch of the Big Ten Network, um, which was a, a huge time, um, not just for the Big Ten, but a key moment in college athletics, as we've now seen several conferences um, start their own network since then, um, was a part of starting the ACC Women's Basketball Challenge or ACC Big Ten Women's Basketball Challenge. Um, so just a really, really neat time um, to be at the Big Ten. From there, I was out of athletics for a year as I was supporting the, the guy that I was in a relationship with at a time and at that time in his career, um, wisely got back into athletics after that relationship ended. Um, and that's where I met Mark at, at the Big East office. So at the Big East was overseeing Olympic sports, sport administration, um, worked with a, a ton of sports there. Um, and again, a really unique time to be at the Big East. Um, you know, back in 2013, I think it was, was when the league um, fell apart and, and broke in half. And you had the Catholic seven who went on to, to become the new Big East. And then um, we stayed with the football side that became the American Athletic Conference. Um, so, you know, being there, starting a new conference from scratch was um, certainly a unique experience. Um, I also moved into a men's basketball specific role um, with the with the American. Um, so I had some opportunities to, to change up my duties when some of the old Big East staff, as we called it, moved on to the new Big East. And so I was able to slide into a men's basketball role. Um, which was a, a unique experience being a, a female and a minority female at that, um, working with men's basketball and the access to some of those legendary coaches that were in the league at that time, access to athletic directors um, was a great experience and a great opportunity for my growth. Um, now, I will say all along that path um, that I always had the desire to, to get on campus um, and was just waiting for that right opportunity and, and that right role. Um, and that's when Maryland um, came about. And I, I distinctly remember talking to Mark uh, the day that the job got posted and, and remember telling him, this is the job, this is the one that I've been waiting for. Um, and Maryland was just transitioning into the Big Ten at that time. Um, so all of these different things were, were lining up about Maryland and, and making it the right fit for me and the right job. So one thing led to the next, applied for it, got it. Um, and that's where I was the last six years um, at Maryland working um, primarily with sport administration. I had oversight of um, as many as eight sports at one point in time. Um, also added championships, added community engagement, um, diversity and inclusion was a little bit of a, a jack of all trades um, at Maryland. Um, and then that brings me to, to A&M where um, I'll be honest, I wasn't looking to leave Maryland. I was really, really happy there. Um, happy with the people, happy with the role, um, happy with living in you know, the DC area. Um, but something about A&M just, just jumped out at me. And as I got to know, you know, Ross Bjork, the AD here um, throughout the process and got to know the people, um, realized very, very quickly that this was the perfect next step for me. Yeah, one thing I, I noticed in listening to all that, uh, there's a theme in, in your career of transition, right? Everywhere you've been has been in some form of transition and significant transition. And whether you knew that going in or not, right? Sometimes things things just happen. How do you feel like leading through all those moments, right? Maryland, or excuse me, the Big Ten with the Big Ten Network, um, the American and the Big East becoming the the American and breaking off. Maryland going into the Big Ten, and so living and leading and experiencing all that transition. Um, how do you think that has uniquely prepared you for this role? Yeah, I mean, when I think about each of those experiences. Um, I was watching and, and learning from some of the best leaders in athletics, not just college athletics, but athletics, period. Um, you think about Jim Delaney. Um, a, I would not be where I am in my career without him and without his guidance and his hand um, on my career. Um, but he's one of the most forward-thinking, intelligent people um, I've ever had the, the pleasure of working with. Um, so being able to sit back and watch his leadership, to watch his vision, um, I mean, that was his vision coming to life with the, the creation of the Big Ten Network and seeing how that's absolutely transformed the, the landscape 
um, of college athletics has been huge. Um, you know, looking at the Big East, I think you can learn from from leadership, whether it's it's good, bad and different. And there were definitely a lot of challenges with, you know, with the Big East and um, ultimately with the league falling apart. And maybe I learned a little bit in that situation about how how to lead better. Um, maybe there were some things that the, the, the leadership at the time could have done differently that might have um, kept the league together longer. Um, you know, maybe we ended in this or the Big East ended in this place anyways. You had a very clear divide with the football playing schools and the non-football playing schools. So maybe this was going to happen down the road eventually, but maybe there might have been opportunities to, to hold that off from happening as soon as it did in, in 2013. You know, the leadership at Maryland and that handling that transition um, from the ACC to the Big Ten, not an easy thing to do um, when you've got some very, very deep connections and some very deep feelings being a charter member of the ACC and now, you know, transitioning to a different part of the country, a different focus, you know, it's football instead of, you know, men's basketball, um, just very, very different. And watching the leadership at the time of, you know, President Lowe, who is the you know, outgoing university president now, um, Kevin Anderson, who was the athletic director at, at that time, they had to stand and take a, a lot of fire and a lot of criti criticism going through that process. But ultimately, you know, they had to do what they felt was right for the institution and for the athletic department. Um, so certainly lessons to, to be learned in that. So you mentioned, um, you know, the, the job at Texan kind of just jumped off the off the page to you. And talk a little bit more about what attracted you to the, the school and then also, you know, maybe a little bit more on what your focus is going to be over there. Yeah. So um, the job itself is part sport administration. So oversight of five sports, women's soccer, women's volleyball, women's basketball, and then men's and women's tennis. Um, also oversight of the academic unit, which that's a 25 person um, full-time staff that we have. Um, also, you know, with it comes Title IX responsibilities um, as the SWA uh, and also diversity and inclusion, gender equity, things of that nature. Um, and then for Ross specifically, it was really important to have someone in this position who has um, visibility and a national presence, um, a local presence, um, presence with donors. Um, so all of those things made it um, very, very attractive to me. Now, I will say, and this is kind of the, the makes me sound a little bit crazy, but probably since 2010, I've had a really, really strong intuition that I was going to wind up in the state of Texas. Um, it literally makes no sense. Um, I've never spent significant time in Texas. I don't have any immediate family in Texas. I've been here for, you know, maybe a final four or two along the way, but um, for some reason have always had that intuition. I can vouch for that too. I, I remember <laughs> that. Uh, so I can, I can definitely vouch for that because, you know, I went to school down there and I remember you talking about it a lot and at yeah. some point it looked like maybe it was the conference office moving there. And it's funny. I'd forgotten all about that, but you're right. Yeah. Yeah. And so when, when the job popped up on, on whatever job site it was, um, initially, you know, I saw the opportunity and I was like, huh, okay, that job is, you know, interesting. I like, you know, the opportunity that, that looks like uh, is ahead there, but you know, it's Texas A&M. They, they've, they've got somebody in mind. And so slept on it for a couple of days and couldn't lose that feeling and was reminded of that, that thought, that feeling, that intuition that I had. So, you know, reached out to a couple of people to find out, you know, is it really open? Like how many times are jobs posted and they're not truly open? So did some digging, found out it was really open um, and then slept on it a couple more days and that feeling just wouldn't go away. Um, so then I started to look into, okay, Ross Bjork, like, is he, is he who he says he is? Is he the real deal? Started, you know, talking to people um, and found out he absolutely is. Um, so then I was like, okay, like all these things are, are lining up. I need to, to apply for this job. But to, to the original question, part of that original appeal to the job was that, that intuition that I've had for, for quite some time. So you made the jump in the middle of a global pandemic, right? So that's normal. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. so, so, so to add to the stress of, of new job and moving halfway across the country, um, it's also when the world is shut down. And so, so what has it been like? How have you like, tried to get to know new, new colleagues? How have you tried to be um, integrated into, into the culture and, and kind of get your, get your foot in the door and get, figure out some sense of normalcy on the job front? Obviously, there's all this lack of normalcy everywhere else. But how, how have you been, been working, staying connected, meeting new people? on the team what what has this process been like because it's the opposite of normal right usually you come in and you meet all the people and you have this onboarding process and, and all these things they could maybe be a couple months long and now it's like you're just on a computer and so what does that look like what have, what's been good about that what's been really challenging with that 
Sure. Yeah. So first of all, I would not recommend um, trying to uproot your life and change uh, jobs in the middle of a global pandemic. Um, it certainly has been interesting. And um, there were definitely times where I didn't even know if I was going to be able to make the move from Maryland because everything was starting to shut down the middle to the end of March. Um, and I'm you know, thinking, are movers even going to be allowed in my house? Am I going to be able to take my flight? to get to College Station, you know, all of those things that thankfully, you know, were able to work themselves out um, in the process. Um, you know, once I got here, took, you know, a couple days to just kind of get settled and acclimated, you know, filled out my HR paperwork. Our HR person actually came to my, my temporary house um, to, to help fill out all of those things. Um, and then next, the next week really hit the ground running. Um, you know, I think as challenging as this situation has been to not be in the office, it's it's kind of been a blessing in disguise. So I've been able to set up one-on-one -on -one Zoom meetings or Zoom calls um, with a good number of the staff. And I'm still probably, I think I'm only about a fourth of the way through the staff right now, but starting with head coaches and doing one-on-one -on -one calls with each of them, um, also one-on-one -on -one calls with the rest of the senior staff, um, and then have started to work my way through the academic staff. And really, it's been an opportunity to just kind of take my time and get to know people. I think if we were physically in the office, you know, I'd have my 30-minute meeting scheduled and it would be on to the next and on to the next meeting and, um, you know, just kind of the hustle and bustle of being in the office where um, these, these Zoom calls, I've really been able to take my time to get to know people and to have, you know, hour-long conversations and get to know them, not just as, as colleagues and professionals, but also as people, which is really important to me. I'm a, I'm a relationship-driven person. Um, so that, that's been actually really key. Um, certainly the, the downside of it is not getting to have that face-to-face -face interaction with people um, and being able to do the things that you typically do when you take over a new job and you're trying to immerse yourself in the culture and the people and all of those things. Um, but I try to, to look at the positive and try to not focus on, on what I may or may not be missing out on right now by not being in the office. Uh, but I've really just tried to look at the, the positive side of it, which is I feel like I'm making some really, really good connections and building relationships with people. Even if it's over a computer, I think it's been really, really good so far. That's cool to hear. And yeah, it's definitely, definitely different, but uh, I bet, I bet you're right. I bet it actually plays out in a, in a really good way um, as you go forward. The last couple of people we've talked to um, on the podcast have also been student athletes. So I've kind of asked this question to everybody, but you know, obviously it ties in very, much to what you're doing now, but how do you think the, the impact of being a student athlete or the, the experience of doing that and then, you know, having the injury you talked about, how do you think that's helped you or impacted your career after uh, your playing days were over? Yeah, yeah. You know, being a student athlete, there's so many, you know, lessons that you learn being a student athlete, whether that's, you know, the, the basic ones of communication and time management, um, but, you know, dealing with adversity. Um, you know, going through multiple knee injuries and knee surgeries and everything that would, you know, came about as a result of those things, um, how to fight through those things, um, you know, working with and, and, and being teammates with people who are different from me and from different parts of the country and different parts of, of, of the world. I had some international teammates. Um, that certainly helps and translates into your, your life and your career. Um, you know, I was really fortunate to have um, some leadership at NIU when I was a student athlete, whether that was our athletic director, who was Carrie Groth at the time, um, which, hey, a female athletic director, which was very rare um, at that point, um, my academic advisor, um, some of those folks who really poured into me personally as a student athlete, um, I see that now as an opportunity of wanting to be that and help do that for, for my student athletes. So that was a huge part that shaped my experience was having those, those females, both um, a, a Caucasian female and an African-American female as my advisor, um, but the Caucasian female as my athletic director and those individuals who poured into me and my growth. Um, so certainly want to be able to do that for, for the student athletes that, um, that I interact with on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, and thinking about you know, your student-athlete experience versus the student-athlete experience today, um, <laughs> and, 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 and your, which is obviously vastly different. And, and I mean, things change within a five-year period, right? Like what student-athletes experienced five years ago is drastically different than what student-athletes are experiencing today. It's going to be vastly different in five years from now. And, so, and also with your role, like trying to shape student-athlete experience, um, where do you see the future of student? And I know this is a big question, but like where do you see the future of student athlete experience going? Where where are we maybe missing the boat and focusing on the wrong things? Um, and what what should we be paying a lot more attention to? 
Yeah, yeah. Well, when you talk about the changes, um, student athlete experience didn't exist from 1999 to 03 when I was uh, a student athlete. We had, you know, I think the champs life skills was probably the closest equivalent to, to what it to what it was um, then, which really you had, you know, a required session that you went to in the fall, which is probably some kind of like business etiquette dinner, how to dress, how to eat what utensils to use, um, and then something in the spring. And that was it. That was that was student athlete experience. And then now within the last probably four to five years, you've really seen um, this area explode as more emphasis is being put on what happens to a student athlete after college and how are we truly preparing these young people for life after um, their, their playing days are done. And so you've seen more of an emphasis on the career development and job readiness. You've seen more of an emphasis on leadership and mentorship skills, um, character development, um, community engagement and service learning opportunities that come through you know, community engagement. Um, you know, having conversations and dialogue and preparing student athletes for social issues and how to address those. Um, that's really you know, where student athlete experience has taken um, a turn to, to grow and expand. For me, I think, you know, it'll be important to not only provide support and resources in those areas, but then how are we tying that into the holistic approach of, you know, mental health? What are we doing to support student athletes there? That's a, that's a huge part of their student athlete experience. Um, obviously, their physical wellness, their nutrition, um, all of these things play into um, their student athlete experience. And then, oh, by the way, they've got the academic piece and they've got the competition piece. And how are we, you know, driving and promoting academic excellence and, and um, athletic excellence? Um, so that's really kind of, I feel like my challenge is how am I bringing all of these pieces together um, to, to help make sure that the student athlete experience is great. And, you know, what works for Mark Hodgkin might not be, you know, what works for Kevin DeShazo, which might not be what works for Kristen Brown. So how can, you know, a leader of student athlete experience and myself, how can I help tailor that approach and that programming for each individual student athlete so that they're growing and they're getting the benefits of that experience? Yeah, that's, that's interesting. And, and it's definitely a positive that, that we're moving in the direction of spending more time um, investing in these areas and, and hiring people like yourself to, to help student athletes in this way. Um, another area that you have a lot of experience with is uh, diversity. Um, I know you had a position at Maryland that focused on that and have been just actively involved in it. But how is college athletics doing um, in that regard as an industry? And how can we do better? Sure. Um, I don't want to say that we're failing, but we're failing. Um, I think any time that the leadership is not reflective of the population, um, then you're out of whack, you're out of alignment. Um, and I think it's uh, UCF's um, graduate school or graduate program that puts out the, the annual report card um, that talks about, you know, uh, diversity and, and racial and gender hiring um, practices and gives grades for every, you know, component of athletics. And I think college athletics regularly, you know, receives a D or a C um, according to their rankings. So, um, you know, we're, we're better, we're, we're getting better and we're improving, but until the, the leadership is, is more in alignment with um, the population, the student athlete population, um, then we still have a lot of work to do. Um, how that gets better, um, I don't think anyone has a, a surefire, you know, 100%, 100% solution to it, um, but it's a fact that people hire people that they know, or they hire people who know the people that they know. So until people who are in positions of leadership are actively seeking out people who are different from them, look different from them, think different from them, have gone to different schools than them, um, have come from different parts of the country than them, until people are making an active effort to, to go outside of their circle and their bubble and develop meaningful relationships with people outside of um, their, their bubble and their network, then things won't change. Um, but if people actually start to take the time to do those things, that's the, that's the best shot of, of um, getting a little bit more in alignment with, with that population, the student athlete population. Yeah, I think that's something, just to be honest, for people listening, you're, you're aware of this. Like Mark and I have failed at that on this podcast, like unintentionally, right? It wasn't the plan. Like, but if we look, I think you're probably our first female guest. Um, and we've got several lined up now. But it's like, oh, that's not okay. You know, and it's it wasn't, and this is where I think it's critical what you were saying. Like, it's not an act of exclusion, right? 
it's just natural relationships or whatever it may be. And then you look, and we try to get diverse opinion, diverse perspective, diverse position, um, but not diverse enough. Right. right. Uh, and I think, and I think people so, so many times get, get, get caught up on um, gender and race and ethnicity as the only um, types of, of diversity. And those are key. Don't get me wrong. Those are absolutely key as, as a minority female. Trust me, that is super important. But diversity goes so far beyond that um, in terms of, you know, how you dress, how, you know, your educational background, where you're from, diversity of thought. Um, maybe somebody, you know, from, you know, suburbia thinks a, a little bit differently from somebody from the inner city or somebody who's had more of a challenging upbringing and background. All of those things are so critical. And if you don't have all of those those seats or all of those mindsets and mentalities and differences represented at your leadership table um, in your Monday senior staff meeting, then you're failing your student athlete population. Absolutely. And people may not like to hear that, but that, that's the truth. And, and you have to be willing to hear that in order to change and grow and get better. Um, and so it's, it's, a, it's, you know, I'm learning it, Mark's learning it, we're everyone that should be learning it, right? If we're trying to get better, we should be learning that and saying, Absolutely. we only get better by having people who, who don't think like us, speak like us, live like us, believe like us. Like, that's how we get better. If, if I, and that's been a challenge. I've had this conversation with Mark and I've had it with a lot of people. But if, if my life is surrounded by people who think and speak and live like me, like I, my life isn't meaning anything really, right? right. Like I've got a very comfortable life. I'm never being challenged. And uh, you're not all, growing uh, at all if you're surrounded right. by people that's who right. are just that's like right. you. I have, a, I have a very safe, comfortable life with people who agree with me, right? Uh, which is not how anything or anyone gets better. And so I, it has been... It, you know, it's, it's really interesting because it's, like you said, there, there is no switch that we flip where this just, we're not going to wake up tomorrow with 50% of, the, of, of people in the AD chair uh, being women or being people of color or being people of, of what, however we want to define diversity. Like, it's just not going to happen. It's, it's a long process. Um, the good news is that the conversations are happening. Uh, and the conversations are being encouraged to happen, which is maybe even the conversation probably always been happening to some degree, but around the same people. Um, now those conversations are being encur encouraged and more people are taking part in those conversations. Um, and so the, the more that that people can, can, can realize, this sounds ridiculous to say, more people can see the benefit of that, right? the, the, the quicker that, that change can, can advance. And so I, it's, it's a conversation we need to be having a lot more um, on, on this podcast, but it's because it's certain... It's one thing for you to talk about it, like for this. Sound, I know this sounds bad. Hopefully, this comes across the right way. We can edit it out if this sounds stupid. But like, <laughs> we need other. We need we need voices who don't typically talk about it to talk about it, right? Yep. And to be to be a champion for that, for, not just for that cause because that cheapens it, but to be champions for for people. <laughs> we need voices who don't usually talk about it to be driving and encouraging and building up that conversation. Um, that's how we move. We move quicker. So yeah, uh, and I've been it. really really lucky in my career to work with and for people. Um, who have championed um, this cause. Going back to Commissioner Delaney, he was one of the first to have, you know, gender equity and diversity inclusion initiatives um, from a conference office perspective. Um, being at Maryland, um, I mean, that's one of the most diverse areas in the country. Um, so you can't help but, um, you know, live and breathe um, diversity there. And, you know, obviously having two African-American athletic directors there, um, our senior staff makeup there was probably as diverse um, if not the most diverse um, senior staff in the country. Um, and then now being here at A&M, um, you know, that was a quite frank conversation that, that Ross and I had, um, you know, as I was doing my, you know, prep for my interview. And I was like, Ross, you know, I was looking through or scrolling through the top half of the staff directory um, uh, on the website, and there's not a lot of people that look like me that's a problem. And he was like, you know what? It is. I know it is. And I'm committed to changing that. So um, I've been fortunate to, to work with people um, who have prioritized that. And we, we need more Ross Bjorks and, and Jim Delaney's of the world who, who want to make a, a positive change in this area. Yeah. And people who, who hear you say that not as a threat, like, no, you're yeah. right. You're like, she's right. Let's, 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 let's change that. You know, cause it's easy to get defensive. Well, it's you know, whatever, make whatever excuses, but for you to have the boldness to say it and for him to receive it, like, no, that's it. That, that's fair. Yeah. We, we got to do something about it. So I love it. I want to stick on that a little bit. Talking about women in leadership, especially women in leadership in sports, uh, there are unique challenges that women in leadership face uh, in, in our industry, in our world. Talk about that a little bit, the challenges that you feel like you've faced um, and how things in that realm, how, how you overcome those challenges, how you deal with those challenges, um, what, that, what, what does that look like? Yeah, I, I think, you know, as I think about this question, 
probably the two biggest challenges are one, having a seat at the table, um, and two, um, feeling like you're not just a token seat at the table. Um, now for me, I'm going to take that as a personal challenge to A, make sure I have a seat at the table, uh, but then also B, make sure that when I'm there, I'm providing value um, and having an opinion, having a voice. Um, but that's definitely the, the two things that I, I've seen um, be a challenge throughout, whether it was colleagues of mine or just from personal experience is A, having a seat at the table and, and B, being more than just the token, the token female at the table. Yeah, that's a good, um, that's a good point. And, and how do you, how do you kind of rise beyond that? I mean, what are some of the things that you've done in your career that have given you that kind of credibility that have, have allowed you to step outside, you know, maybe your comfort zone and your coworkers comfort zone to, to do better. Um, Cause I think, that, I think you're right. There's, I don't want, I, I guess it's a, it's a little bit of a res, more responsibility that you feel, you know, in those kinds of situations we hope it's not always like that, where you have to feel like you have to justify it. But mm-hmm. is that kind of the the reality of where we are today? And and if so, you know how how do you rise above that in a way that keeps your credibility, that keeps your um, relationships positive, that that uh, that keeps giving you the the support that you need internally? Yeah, uh, I think the two ways that I've tried to approach it um, is one through building relationships with people. Um, I think it, it's, it makes things a lot easier and conversations easier to be had when you've got those, um, you know, strong relationships with folks that you can have these frank conversations, um, which makes the conversation with Ross kind of unique that I had because we had no relationship at that point. But um, just based on um, our, our back and forth, I felt like, you know, I could, I could articulate that and he was going to, he was going to receive that. And if he didn't receive it, then I knew that wasn't the place, A&M wasn't the place for me. Um, so I think relationships are, are key to that. Um, but then also, you know, being able to go in a room and being uh, the most knowledgeable person on a subject and, and talking eloquently about things, um, being prepared for those, for those meetings and those conversations, that's what um, changes people's minds or viewpoints or opinions when they see somebody who they might have doubted come into a meeting and knock it out of the park. Um, I think that that's so key. And, and when one person, you know, is able to walk into a room and do that, um, then it potentially opens the door for another person because now that mentality starts to change and people start to view, you know, women, minorities, whomever, a little bit differently when they see folks come in and, and they're prepared and they can they can step up to the plate, you know, and, and and knock something out of the park. I don't mean this to be an obvious question, but I think it's important. Um, does that feel like a burden? Like, as a, as a female leader, as a, a woman of color, do you feel like... Is that a heaviness that you feel that the other people don't have to walk in the room and operate with that? They can just walk in the room. Like if Mark and I were to walk in a room, we don't have to think about that. Right. Yeah. Is that something like that consciously is, is on your mind? Um, I'm not saying that like that, that drives you or whatever it may be, but like, but that's just something that you're just constantly aware of that you feel like you have to be, there's a burden to be this. Yeah. Um, I feel like burden is a strong word. Um, so I, I wouldn't say that it's a burden, but yeah, it's something that has has always been in the back of my mind. You know, I remember one of my first bosses, uh, Wendy Fallon at the Big Ten office. Um, that's where I learned preparation was from her. And her philosophy was you will always be the most prepared person in the room, period. Um, and part of that was probably coming from, you know, as being as a woman, um, you know, but part of that was just kind of the, you know, how she operated. Um, but um, to your question, I don't know if it's necessarily a burden, but yeah, it is something that I've had to think about. And um, is it necessarily fair that that's, you know, the way that it is? No, it's not fair, but um, I've tried to view it more as a challenge and something that um, I'm going to work to overcome than as something that, you know, is negative and, and, and is a burden. I like that mindset. I mean, it, it feels like that's a more empowering approach, right, to, to be able to look at it that way. And yeah, that's that's really good, and it's like Kevin said, it's good for us to think about that. You know, we might not, uh, you know, look the same when we come into a room, but we should be thinking about how other people are experiencing. You know, we talk about this a lot. The other side of us as as professionals and leaders and whatever, um, you know, you have a way of looking at things, and you know, sometimes you just it's it's hard to see 
what it feels like on the other side of the table. So I uh, really appreciate that message. Switching gears a little bit, I, I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but I'm curious, spending the first part, maybe first half of your career on a, at the conference level or primarily in the conference, and then going to, to, to campus, you know, when you went to Maryland, that's a, I think one, it's, it's a little bit of a tough uh, uh, switch. It's a little bit of, you know, I've been out there too, and, and I don't think the conference experience always translates terribly well to campus, or at least campus folks might not think it does. Uh, but I'm curious kind of how you, one, found that, because I know you always said you wanted to go back to campus, but how did it how did it prepare you? What were the good, the bad of making that transition? And then what would you tell people? I mean, I get this question all the time. What's the, what's the difference between working on uh, the biggest differences from conference to uh, campus life? Yeah, um, there are literally no similarities between working um, at a conference office and working on campus at an institution. Um, and I say this often, there was nothing in my 10 years of conference office work that prepared me, um, especially for that first month at Maryland and some of the things that were coming to my plate and coming my way. Um, they, they could not be more more different roles yet. It's all within college athletics. So it's crazy that um, that something could be so different. Um, but yeah, there, there, there's, there's no comparison. Um, conference office was very, you know, 30,000 foot view. Um, you, you're at the mercy of the membership and, you know, what the institutions want. And really your role is to, to enforce, you know, the policies that the, the institutions create and, and develop. Um, I would say conference office is very much corporate, very kind of nine to five-ish. Um, depending on the time of year, you've got obviously championships and postseason, so things tend to get, for me, in a championships role, um, got a little busy during, you know, November, February, March, and then April, May, um, kind of those postseason championship times. Um, you know, it's a lot of, you know, forward thinking and projecting um, and trying to be, you know, ahead of, you know, what's happening in college athletics, which that, you know, you're doing that on campus as well, but it's, it's different in the conference office. You know, the best, I think, conference office administrators are forward thinking and help kind of navigate the discussion and how um, the membership makes decisions and how the membership moves. And um, you can get your agenda uh, by making it the membership or the institution's ideas. Um, it, that's a skill um, that I've seen very few people have at the conference office level, but it's, it's key. Um, but then you you think about an institution and that transition, like I said, that first month, um, it was crazy. And it was, you know, drinking from a fire hose um, because now you're dealing with, you know, coaches um, in a different capacity than I dealt with them at a conference office. Um, but coaches who, you know, have a lot of needs, have a lot of things. They want answers. They want it yesterday, not, you know, this afternoon or tomorrow. Like they need it now. You're dealing with student athletes, which 18 to 22-year-olds, bless their hearts, they are, they give me gray hair. Um, but I mean, I obviously love, you know, what I do and working with them. But there are certainly challenges that come with dealing with 18 to 22-year-olds. Um, you're dealing with, you know, coach-player conflict. You're dealing with student-athlete to student-athlete conflict. You're dealing with parents, which was a whole different um, element that I never had to deal with at the conference office. Um, and that's just a Tuesday. So then you think about the rest of your week um, and all of the all of the different things that that you have to do with that. And you're going to games, going to competitions, you're traveling with teams. Um, there's the day to day work of the office. And as a sport administrator, um, you're really a jack of all trades and, and you know, knowledgeable enough in, in each of the areas and the units of the department to be, you know, a little bit dangerous, but not necessarily an expert. Um, so there's there's so many different hats that you know, I wore um, on campus at Maryland. Um, like I said, there was nothing that I, I did at a conference office that could have prepared me for that 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 transition. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about being a sport administrator, right? And I, I think that's a obviously if you're in college sports, you understand the role. General public has no clue what that role is, <laughs> um, and you've been a sport administrator over some national championship winning teams and programs. Um, so walk us through a little bit, and I know this this can differ right from from campus to campus. Everyone kind of approaches that role a little bit differently. Um, what does that role look like for you, and what does it what does it take to be successful as a sport administrator specifically? 
Yeah. So what that role looks like to me, um, we had no structure to sport administration when I got to Maryland. Um, no guidance, no anything. So I was flying blind, particularly for those first two years and had some great coworkers who were also sport administrators who, you know, would help me navigate some things, um, but got a great piece of advice from Noreen Morris, who's the, the commissioner at the NEC, when I asked her, who spent some time at Northwestern as um, their SWA and a sport administrator. And I was like, Noreen, tell me about being a sport supervisor or sport administrator and like, what, what do I need to know? And she was like, you won't know it until you go through it. And I was like, "That wait, that, that tells me nothing. That tells me literally nothing. And she was like, that's what I can tell you. You don't get the experience until you go through it. And there's nothing that I could tell you um, that will help you because every, every sport is different. Every coach is different. Every situation is unique. Um, so keeping that in mind um, and now knowing what I know now, she's absolutely right. Um, you know, no day is the same. No challenge is the same. Every, you know, situation has its, you know, unique nuances to it. Um, but the good side of not having a structure um, when I came into that role at Maryland is I got to help create that kind of guide to being a sport administrator manual at Maryland and then now have, you know, brought that a little bit to, to A&M. Um, but really, you know, my approach, you know, we tried to have, you know, some basic foundational things that sport administrators um, do, whether that's, you know, regular meetings with coaches, going over budgets, um, contract negotiations, assisting with scheduling, um, obviously staying on top of, you know, student athlete welfare and um, academic um, concerns. Um, but then I really tried to, you know, tailor my approach to the coach and to the program. Um, I had some coaches who were very um, high maintenance, if you will, and they just needed a lot of guidance. They needed a lot of FaceTime. They needed a lot of interaction. They needed, you know, regular conversations and phone calls to talk through things and for me to just be a listening ear while they worked themselves through a process. Um, I had coaches who were very hands-off. Hey, I've been in this for, you know, 20 years, 20 plus years as a head coach. Like, I don't need you to you know, be, you know, in my office every other week. Um, as long as you're there when I need you and you're at the games um, and you, you've got a presence around the kids, I'm good. And then you had, you know, the coaches who were, you know, somewhere in between. Um, so really, you know, the, my approach, you know, I tried to um, tailor it to the coach and to the program um, and, and what, what they needed. I would say being a, a sport administrator, there's definitely a skill to it. Um, you've definitely got to be adaptable. You've got to be a jack of all trades. As I mentioned, you've got to be, you know, knowledgeable in, in marketing and media relations and compliance just enough to, to give a, an okay answer and not screw some things up. Um, um, but you, you've got to have great relationships, whether that's with the, the coaching staff and to have some of those hard conversations that are ultimately going to come about. You've got to have great relationships with the kids. Um, they've got to feel that they're that they have someone there that supports them, someone outside of their their coaching staff who they feel like they're only getting you know one perspective from. So you you've got to kind of be this jack of all trades. I also think you know you've got to be a, a very creative problem solver, um, and then you've got to be kind of a therapist in some ways, um, just because you are getting everybody's problems. And usually when something comes to you, it's because somebody else couldn't fix it. So um, you're, you're, a lot is dumped on you as a sport administrator. And often you're kind of in between what the coach wants and what um, the marketing department wants or what the coach wants and what a student athlete wants or um, what the philosophy is for the department versus, you know, what may or may not be best for a program. Um, so you're constantly tugged in a few different directions as a sport administrator. So there's definitely a, a lot of different skills that you that you have to have to be um, in that role. It's really interesting. And uh, going back to your question about you know, the answer about the, the conferences, it's it's I, I couldn't really agree more. I think it's a totally different skill set, and it's interesting to to hear your experience with that. But uh, I think we have time for about one more question. So kind of wanted to just ask what you would give as far as advice to either uh, students or people who are just kind of getting started in their career that might be interested in a in a career like yours, being a sports administrator, um, being a, you know, a potentially an AD at some point, what would you tell people? Um, what, what's the best advice you could give to those just getting started? Yeah, um, your path is your path. Um, don't get so caught up and hung up on um, timelines and what 
you know, is going on, you know, with other people who are your age and you came into the industry with. Um, I see so many times that people get, you know, stressed out because they're not, you know, a director or they're not an AD or, you know, if I was going off of, you know, one of my fellow colleagues, you know, timelines, um, Neil Sullivan, who's the AD at Dayton right now, um, we started off as interns together. Um, at the Big Ten office. And so if I was going by his timeline, well, then I'm well behind because he was an AD, you know, as of four or five years ago. Um, so I think your path is your path and you need to focus on um, your your own professional growth and development and what that looks like for you might not look the same for somebody else. And, um, and that also means not rushing to take jobs and take opportunities just because the title is different or the pay is different or the name brand of the institution or the conference office. Um, you know, being more selective about the, the opportunities that, that you take and, you know, who are the people that you're working with? That's almost as important as the job in and of itself. Um, who's going to champion you? Who's going to help you grow? Um, who's going to help make sure that you're in the right positions and that you have a seat at the table? Um, so being more selective about um, the places that you go, but that all, you know, is in alignment with, you know, your path is your path and um, making conscious and strategic and sometimes, um, you know, delayed decisions to that might not be as fast as everybody else, um, but delayed decisions to, to, to do what was best for, for your career. Of that, Kevin and I talk about, you know, comparison and the dangers of doing that all the time. You know, it, it's very easy to do. And, and that old thing about kind of comparing your day-to-day with other people's highlight reels and going to the same thing when we got into this industry, you know, what are the people who are interns with us or worked at us and couldn't, couldn't agree more with that advice of uh, trying to tune that out, focus on yourself, getting better yourself, you know, figuring out what's right for you because you're not, you might have come in at the same time, but you're not the same person. So right. uh, I think that's really good, really good advice. Well, um, Really appreciate your time, Kristen. It's a great conversation. Um, excited to, to have you on and, you know, really excited for your opportunity at Texas a and it's, uh, it's very exciting. So thanks again for joining us. Thank you. I appreciate you guys having me. All right. That was Kristen Brown, uh, Deputy Athletics Director for Student Athlete Experience at Texas A&M. Um, and Kevin, really good conversation, I thought. Again, you know, some of these, some of the parts of it, you could almost feel uh, maybe you could feel a little bit, but it was, it was some almost uncomfortable conversations. And I think that goes with the tough questions that we talked about regarding diversity and, and women in leadership. And I only mean that it was, it was uncomfortable because, um, you know, that's like Kevin alluded to during the conversation, you know, we're trying to think of these things differently. We're trying to acknowledge where we, you know, come up short either on interviews with this podcast or just the way we think and acknowledging that, that other people's experience is different. So, Kevin, what did you take away from that conversation? Yeah, it, it's something we talk about a lot, um, but we, we've never really put it in this perspective, like, but just considering what those around you are experiencing, um, because what's coming out of them isn't just what's coming out of them, right? Like, it's a result of their experience, of their current situation, of their current reality, could be relationships, could be home, could be all sorts of different things. Uh, and, and for most of us, you know, we, we walk into a meeting with a different mindset than she does. Um, and she, she alluded to it. She goes, and I loved her perspective. She doesn't consider it a burden that she, that she feels the need to come into the room more prepared than anybody else. She's like, I see that as a challenge and an opportunity and I want to embrace that. Um, but you and I, you know, it's easy to say we should all be prepared when we walk into a room. That's just not true. <laughs> right? People, people aren't. Um, they can walk into a room, they can fake it, they can whatever, and, and they're going to get a pass. But a, a, as a woman, as a woman of color, like we just can't ignore the reality that that's not true for her. Um, and and I've, I've had to kind of really consider these things a lot over the past year or two as these things keep popping up in college sports, keep popping up in society. Um, you know, I've realized, and this is, this is off but on topic, you know, when I go for a run, I don't think about anything. Uh, if I pass a woman on a run, I notice tension. Like they're, they're just aware there's a man, there's a, how close if, and I've, I've started to ask women, like, is it, are you really, th- am I making that up? Or are you like really thinking they're like, Oh, if they see someone they're they now are scanning. If I have to, how do I get out? Right. They're looking at every path of escape. And that may sound ridiculous to a lot of people like us who are listening to this podcast. That's reality. Um, and, and we don't experience that. And so right, wrong, and different doesn't matter. 
if, if we want, we have to value people. That means you have to understand their experience. And so that was one of the things that I really appreciated from her is like, just understand the perspective of people who are in the room and make sure you have enough unique perspectives in the room. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I worked with KB for, for a number of years and, you know, saw her up close as far as what she was doing. And, you know, it, I, I think tackling those kind of issues head on was really, you know, important. It, she wasn't using it as a, as an excuse. She wasn't weaponizing it. She wasn't saying that white men in these positions of power that we have to be, you know, swing the other way. We just need to be aware. We need to make our, make an effort to seek out people who think differently than us. And I thought that was another good point. Like, it's not always just people who look different. You have to focus on people who think different, whose experiences are different, because you can get kind of a, a, a false diversity, something I think um, actually we have quite a bit of in, in higher education on the academic side. I think we have a lot of focus on diversity of, of gender and race, but you know, not a ton of diversity of thought. Um, and I think that's another issue, again, that's a little bit harder to put your finger on and something I don't think we're, we're as behind on in, in sports as, as other areas. But you know, it's that example of you know, that there's, there's more than one way and, and people having different experiences and different you know, life, uh, lifestyle um, backgrounds really does add quite a bit of texture to, to an organization. And it's important, if you're gonna be the leader, you need to understand that it's important and you have to understand where everybody on your team's coming from, even if that's not comfortable and if that's not pleasant and it's not right. You know, in a lot of cases, it's just not, it's not right, but you know, that is the reality we need to acknowledge it if we're gonna fix it. Yeah, and I loved how she felt comfortable enough and bold enough to challenge Ross Bjork on that, to like say, hey, as I scroll through senior staff, I don't see people like me. And again, she's not, like that's not a weapon against him. She, she's she's pointing it out, bringing it to light. And, and I love the way she approached all these things. Like, um, And for him to, to receive that and say, he could have easily used that as an excuse. Well, you don't know, or what, you know, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, um, and ignored her and not hired her because of that. Oh, she, she's not even on staff yet. And she's already challenging me. And she's already trying to, like, there's so many ways he could have gone with that. And he said, you're right. I'm going to fix it. And, and one hire doesn't fix it, right? But it helps. Uh, and so for him to, to receive that that way and, and not just receive it and listen, but take action on it, um, I think says a lot about, about how, how, who he is as, as a leader um, and the change that he's going to allow her to make at Texas A&M. Uh, so, and I, I just, you know, this is my first time interacting with her. I just think she's an agent of change. You know, that change agent term gets thrown around kind of cliche, but like, I think that's what she is. And, and the way, not just with, with diversity and inclusion, but that's just how she operates. She comes in and, and she creates change and she makes things better. Um, you just get that as you listen to her story. And so I think she's going to be that at AM and, and wherever she goes throughout her career. Yeah. And the thing that jumped out, you know, we didn't, we usually prepare some questions, you know, before we start talking. And I think you jumped in with the, the question about being in places through areas of transition and eras of transition, you know, everywhere just worked out that way. Obviously she didn't plan it. You know, it wasn't like they, People were going through a transition. We had to go hire Kristen to go through it. It, it just happened. There were there were she would happen to be at places that were going through um, big changes. You know, when she got to the Big East. We didn't know that that we were about to go through a seismic shift in our landscape and uh, everything changed. So um, you saw that going through that though. I think gives you experience you can't buy. You can't you know you can't you can't replicate them. You just, you have to learn from your role through them. It makes you tougher. It gives you unique experiences. It, it, gives, it shows you challenges. It shows you great leadership, poor leadership, but the important part is learning from all of it. So yeah, definitely a really good conversation. So hopefully you guys got as much, uh, if not more out of that conversation than Mark and I did. Um, again, I, Kristen was just fantastic, great perspective. There's a reason she's been as successful as, as she has been and will continue to have great success. Uh, so thank you guys for listening. Um, thanks for hanging out with us. If you have questions, hit us up uh, on Twitter at Mark underscore Hodgkin at Kevin DeShazo. Thanks for hanging out. Episode 40 Sports Leadership Podcast. We will see you on the other side.